Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 455 for Sunday, June 23rd, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in tips, questions, and cool stuff found. We share some tips, we answer some questions, we pile up the tools, the, the tool stuff found, but also the cool stuff found, and squirrel it away for a day when we can just blast it all out because it seems like that's the right pattern for us. And that's not happening today, uh, but it may happen next weekend because I happen to notice that the queue is really big here in Durham, New Hampshire, on this fine Sunday morning, caffeinating myself while chatting with. One of my best friends and uh, all of you here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here with, um, yeah, I have a cup of coffee in my uh, Apple mug that I got at the Apple campus store. Um, John F. Braun. Hi, John F. Braun. How are you? You caffeinated well or are you? Oh, I think so. That's good. Yeah. Did my own. You did your own? It was a pea berry, I think, coffee is what I had, what I ground up this morning. Well, that's good. I, uh, yeah, I suppose. so other than suffering a, a bout of packet loss, which uh, I am only subject to, I guess. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you great. Yeah, well, you have received packet loss only, it seems, from uh, from everything you try to talk to. But every packet that you send is getting out just fine. That tells mm-hmm. me it's your cable modem. Actually, when we think about it that way, right? Um, because you're sending packets out and uh, and Skype is actually really good at telling us where the packet loss happens uh, because otherwise it's it's kind of a hard thing to measure, I, I, I suppose. But if you if you run Skype and you get into a call, we're getting geeky already, uh, and you go to the window menu and choose technical call info, it shows you a lot of stuff. Uh, but one of the interesting things is that it shows you total packet loss and then send packet loss and receive packet loss as a percentage. And for me, receive packet loss is sitting at 0%, but my send packet loss, John, is at about 15%. And I'm guessing you're seeing something quite the opposite. Yeah. And so sometimes some things we tried here, just a mini troubleshooting thing for network problems. So one on a lot of cable modems or some cable modems, uh, or at least mine here, you can check the status page, and I checked that. That's typically at 192.168.100.1. We'll put a link in the show notes to that. And mine says receive power is zero and transmit is 48, which is within spec. Yep. So I think the transmit's kind of high. It. Yeah, you know, I got to be honest. I know I I used to run here at like 36 uh, on the on the transmit, but nowadays, because I rearranged my network, I'm actually running higher than you. I'm at 50. But they say if as long as it's below 51, you're fine. And thus far, it's proven true. So. Uh, I'm going to blame my ISP. Yeah, well, it could it be seemed, the cable modem. Yeah. Well swap it out. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that 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 address is on every cable modem that's out there. They're all DOCSIS compliant these days. We, we have yeah. we have graduated beyond the, the proprietary cable modems of of the old yeah. days. And the other quick test they did. So I had problems uh, because it does Flash and Java and all that. So there's something called pingtest.net. But uh, I just did a simple ping from the terminal and pinged MacObserver.com and uh, would see loss there as well. Yep. 
And that, uh, uh oh. <laughs> now I know what the problem is. <laughs> uh, yeah, it could be a fire. <laughs> you heard the fire engine, right? I did. We all did. <laughs> Maybe Josh. that's it. I bet you there's a, yeah, there's a piece of uh, network equipment uh, <laughs> going up into flames. That's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Problem solved. Yeah. All right, but anyways, I was dropping ping packets, so that 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 was a bad sign as well. So it's a, it's not a. But it's interesting because when you drop ping, if you so what John's talking about is just going to the terminal and uh, and what he typed was ping space macobserver dot com, but you could do ping space apple dot com or pick anything, and many web servers will respond to pings, but not all. Uh, but if you get one that does, you will get you will either get all of your things back, uh, and it'll kind of send one per second, and it'll show you. And then when you're finished, hit control C and it will give you a little uh, summary. And so I let it run for like 10 seconds, but you'd have no idea which direction the packet loss is happening. You just know that the packet isn't making it fully round trip back to you. That's what a ping is. It says, I'm going to send a request to that computer out there and I'm going to get it back. And then it measures the amount of time that it took for that to happen. But, um, but like I said, with Skype, it tells us that, you know, it is in one direction and one direction only because you're, I'm getting a hundred percent of your packets, which is fascinating. So mm-hmm. it's good. It's good. All right. Uh, let's move on to, uh, let's do some of our questions. Ed, actually let's do some tips. Cause I said tips first in the, in the order of the thing when we started with the, the, the people and the stuff. So uh, let's do, let's do Ed. He says uh, in regards to your discussion of using the Apple TV for showing photos, there's another fun thing you can have it do, and that is to display a Flickr search. We often go on pl- vacations to different places, and so we will search Flickr for pictures from that state or place. We put it in a slideshow, and we get to see where we're going to be before we get there. Uh, just thought I'd tell you about it. That's actually excellent, Ed. Thank you. And we got another tip on the Apple TV thing. Uh, I had said that iTunes needs to be on uh, all the time in order to stream your, your iPhoto library to the Apple TV. That's incorrect. The Apple TV will cache some amount of, of the pictures there. So it doesn't necessarily have to be on. It does initially to get it set up. But once you've kind of told it, this is what I want to do. The computer can go to sleep and, and it's uh it's all still good. So it's good. It's good. That's good. Um, you know, I've even found ahead, a little John. tidbit, Dave. Yeah, tidbits so a little, are good. little tangent, but I think it may be relevant because it's something I want to revisit. I'm like, you know, I seem to remember this thing called Front Row that Apple had. Yeah. But you do a lot of this stuff, including uh, displaying slides and all that. And I tried to activate it on my uh, various computers here. Uh, and typically what you could do to activate it, you could either hit the button on the uh, IR remote. Is it still uh, there? Or Does Front Row still exist in Mountain Lion? Well, I'm going to answer that. Okay. Uh, the thing All is, right. you can make it exist. So normally it doesn't. I think they actually pulled it out in Lion as well. Because right. to get it to work, you used to hit Command Escape, and eventually it would come up and let you access, uh, you know, was their, their shot at a media center. I don't know why they, they pulled it. But uh, I'll post the... But if you look at this link here, it actually explains how you can... Uh, what files you have to bring over... Uh, from an older machine or I guess OS installation, if you use something like pacifist to, uh, and it seems to work on, uh, the reports say, uh, it seems to work on mountain lion. So I, I pasted a link to a discussion that talks about that. So we can put the notes here. So if you want to blast from the past, um, so I may try this just, just for kicks. That's interesting. That's, that's how you, uh, that's how you roll, John. 
All right. Um, so, you know, we were talking about uh, SMS uh, and uh, from cell phones and trying to sort all that out. And uh, Rick had a good tip. And Rick's tip was uh, using a website called freerevcell.com, F-R-E-E-R-E-V-C-E-L-L.com. He says, I have been using email to text messages because I have a non-data iPhone or non-data phone and texting's not easy. And using FreeRevCell, uh, I can enter a number and it will tell me whether it is a cell phone number. And if it is, it will give me the SMS email address to use. The website looks totally spammy and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I typed in our numbers, John, and it came up right with them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, they've got access to the data somehow. My guess is that this, this has to be in some sort of public or semi-publicly accessible database. So, um, but yeah, freerevcell.com. So we will put that in the show notes too. And I see uh, the show notes creating, being created before my eyes by uh, all of you in the chat room at macgeekab.com slash stream. Good morning, everyone in the chat room or good afternoon or good evening or whatever it is for you. Thank you very much for joining us. It is always a blast. John, I think we have, uh, do you have any, any more on that or do we, are we ready to roll on this, uh, this comment from, from Dave related to cell phones and all that good stuff? No, let's, uh, let's go. Let's let it roll. Hey guys, my name's Dave. Just a quick follow-up on episode 454. There was a question about doing SMS from a computer. Um, it's not exactly what he's looking for, because I think he said he wants to do both iMessage and text from the computer. But um, another alternative for sending SMS from a computer, which you guys were talking about, is uh, Google Voice. Um, the only downside, it would obviously require a new number for um, sending from your Google Voice number. Except they do have an option now to import a number, I believe. So if you wanted to keep your number, you can for, I want to say it's 20 bucks. But um, anyways, if you if you got Google Voice, you can send from the computer either through the web or there's a couple of standalone apps I think I've found in the App Store. There's extensions for Chrome and Safari and whatnot. So that's another option if you wanted to be able to uh, send and receive text from the computer. And the nice thing is... Uh, if you're doing that as your main texting platform, there's also uh, iPhone apps and whatnot, so you can get the SMSs on your phone as well. So, here's where you can cut me off. Uh, we will cut you off. Yeah, I, I, that's brilliant. I use Google Voice all the time. I occasionally use it for texting, but uh, but I actually have so it's but it but it works totally well for that. And so, thank you for reminding us to remind everyone else that uh, that that is an option. We um, I use Google Voice with my iPhone uh, as my voicemail. And there's a way you can do that. We'll find the the website that explains how to do it, but you type a series of numbers into your, you have to get a Google voice account first. Uh, and then you go into voicemail and you say, attach it to my existing cell phone. And it has you type in a series of numbers. And what it does is it reroutes your non answer forwarding from uh, being sent to AT&T or Verizon's voicemail to being sent to Google voicemail. And the cool part is I then get my uh, voicemails as emails with audio and, uh, and the transcription. Now Google's voices transcription is sometimes uh, gibberish, but over time I've learned to interpret it and, and can actually usually get the gist of a, of a voicemail before ever hearing it. And sometimes without ever hearing it. So that's good stuff. Do you use Google Voice, John, or no? No. 
No, of course. Of course. Um, it's fun. Well, I have to, I've, I've run it a couple of times actually on my computer to make a, a, a free call because it does have a mic driver and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I forgot you can do that with it too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I, and you can do, it's interesting. You can do like, if you had to do an overseas call on your cell phone, Google voice might be the most economical way to do it because you run, you run their little app and uh, you put in the number and then it dials the number, but it also dials your cell phone and then marries the two calls together. So, uh, and their, and their rates to you or whatever your minute rates are just for, you know, domestic calls, which for a lot of us now are just free, but, um, or unlimited, I should say not free. We pay for the unlimited service, but, uh, but then you get your, your overseas call for, uh, for quite a bit less than the carriers typically charge. But that's how, uh, that's how that goes. Uh, any thoughts on this, John, before we, before we keep moving on? No thoughts. Keep on moving. All right. Well, if I, I want to talk about our, uh, first sponsor of the day. And, uh, if you are not using Squarespace to host your website, you probably are doing too much work to make all of that happen. Um, it, it, it squarespace.com slash MGG is where you go. But uh, you just get started right away. You, you, you actually start picking a template before you ever uh, even give them your name. You, you just you start, you go there, you click get started. And if you go there today, uh, and I think they've, they'll have this up for a couple of days. They've got this cool, um, you know, geeky audio looking uh, uh, template on their own website. But you click get started and, uh, and then you pick a template that works for you and I mean, these templates are beautiful. They're pro designed. They are tested. They take like three months to design and test their templates before rolling them out to you. And not only does that mean that they're totally polished and totally pro, but they're also tested on every browser that they can think of both desktop, mobile, tablet in between, you know, every one of them, I, I don't know if they test for IE six. Uh, there's no reason to, if anybody's running IE six, you should just like get rid of that. But, uh, but I think they test for pretty much every other browser uh, other than IE six. And, and that's excellent. In fact, I hope they don't test for IE six because it's terrible, but uh, yeah, it, you know, these, these templates are fantastic. And, and then once you build the template, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do with it. You know, if you want to run your blog, they've got, uh, you know, WordPress on the back end, you can import stuff from your existing WordPress blog. So if you hacked something together somewhere and you've sort of been cobbling along with that, just slurp it right into Squarespace and then you're just good to go. Uh, if you're running a business and you want to have a little shopping cart or a big shopping cart, you can. And they've partnered uh, with uh, merchant services providers so that on the back end, you, you just say, I want to take payments and boom, they take care of that for you and then, and then get you your money. It's uh it's totally smooth, totally, uh, you know, easy to get set up. And when you're just, you know, you, you use their templates, right? But if you want to bring in your own pictures and artwork, because it's your website and you want to have stuff that's representative of you, you just drag them in from your desktop right into the browser and it's there. It's uh, and you can move stuff around and change text and, You've got all these different features on the back end. It's really 
even if you're not going to host a website, just go to squarespace.com slash MGG and play with it because it's a cool engine. It's cool to see the way they do things. And, uh, and who knows, you might actually want to, uh, to sign up when you do sign up your coupon code. Uh, and this is sort of at the very end of the process, because like I said, they don't ask you for your credit card before you start doing anything. You create the thing and then they start asking you for these, these things, which I think is really smart. But at the very end of the process, the coupon code MGG six, because this podcast is being recorded and released in the month of June, which is the sixth month of our uh, Gregorian calendar year. So MGG six is the coupon code to use that gets you 10% off of whatever you buy. So, uh, so check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. We appreciate having them on board and we appreciate you checking them out because uh, you're doing yourself a favor. Uh, just check it out. What's the harm? Have fun with it. That's what this is supposed to be about. All right, John, you got uh, you got Joe ready to roll or any thoughts? Yes, on I Square? do. And I have a better answer. And number two, actually, I can hear you better. It seems our packet loss problem may be going away. Hey. Oh, no. Yes, don't speak too soon. <laughs> it looks to be getting better. So anyways, yeah. And I actually sent a follow up to Joe here because my initial answer uh, was uh, not quite correct. Yeah, but nobody knows about your initial answer yet. So tell us everything. Great. So Joe writes. Um, hi, John and Dave. Really enjoy the show. Love the chapters. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, we've gotten quite a bit of feedback on the chapters. Uh, all of it positive thus far. So thank you for that. Yep. Um, and thank you, Michael, then, for that. Sorry, John. I just absolutely. And then on another note, any tips on getting a MacBook Pro late 2011 models SD card reader working again? So as some of you may know, uh, there have been various interfaces on MacBook Pros, and this one has a SD or secure digital memory card reader. Uh, which personally I thought was a silly move. I always like the express card, but what's been happening, he says it's been absolutely fine, but now SD cards no longer appear in the finder sidebar or on the desktop. When you insert one, I've tried the SD card in an iMac and it shows up fine and gives no trouble in the camera. It came from the card doesn't show up in disutility either. When inserted, I've checked the finder prefs. I've got all the sidebar and desktop options. Okay. Very good. CD, DVD and HDD. I did a little Googling to try to find an answer, but the only solution I found involved invoking a terminal command to kill the finder, which sounded a bit scary, so I was hesitant to try it. Do you think it could be a hardware issue? And is there any way of narrowing down where there is a software hardware issue? Yes, there is. So, let's pretend that I got it right the first time. <laughs> so at first, I, I didn't know quite where to go with this because I didn't think that I had a machine with an SD card reader. As I mentioned, uh... my MacBook, MacBook Pro has the uh, uh, Express Card uh, 34, which does allow... Uh, or, or uh, I use USB SD card readers. Sure. So either uh, express. So I didn't have. Um, you didn't, I didn't have initially a machine have one with an Apple built. Uh, so I don't have. I didn't think I had a machine with a built-in Apple one. But as it turns out, I do. My Mac Mini has one. At first, uh, right. I, I think I used it once and just ignored it because I mean it's really inconvenient. It's on the back left of it, uh, and it almost looks like a, a ventilation thing if you don't know that it's an SD card slot. But. Um, to determine if it's a hardware problem, you want to see if the Mac can see it. And where you're going to do this is depending on where you are. But eventually you want to run the system info application. And typically that involves, you know, doing about this Mac and then either more info or system report. And you'll eventually get this report to come up. And then you want to look at the hardware category. And you may have to click on the triangle to open it up. And then you're going to see a whole bunch of devices. Now, at first I said, you know what, I'm not quite sure what type of device this is. So 
look under USB or maybe SATA or, or there's a PCI category. And then, duh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to hop in here, John, uh, th- just to get there. I just didn't want to gloss over this in case people didn't know Apple about this Mac, more info and then system report will launch the uh, the report that John's talking about. So go ahead. Yes. yes. The other way you could do it is if you do a. Uh, I think that'll still work. Option Apple. Well, no, you, you could also get to it. It's called system information. Well, at least on this machine, it's called system information. But yep. OK, so uh, it may vary depending on what system you're on, but eventually you're going to get a full system That's report. True. And so, yeah, so the category is hardware. And then, Dave, I didn't notice this. I thought it was a device that hangs off another bus. For example, a lot of things hang off of the USB bus, like your keyboard and uh, probably your mouse and yeah. Bluetooth and IR receiver and a whole bunch of stuff. So and I thought this it may doesn't, go there. Huh? Well, the, in this case, it actually shows up under, well, duh, I didn't notice this. There's a card reader category. Huh. And yeah. it's actually, and then I saw people suggesting online that it may be a PCI device. And it, it, it's a PCI, as far, as far as I can see, PCIe device. Yeah. Because one of our ports, it says built-in SD card reader. And it says vendor ID, device ID, a few other things. And then link with. That's typically a statistic given with a PCIe device and things can be X1, X2, X4, X16. And you'll also see this, I think with graphic, some graphic cards, they'll show you how many bits. And then it actually shows the link speed. It says a 2.5 GT slash S, which I believe is giga transactions per second. Yeah. So that's an approximate link of the level. So if you see something in the card reader category, then it's probably not a hardware problem. Yeah. I'm, contacts I'm, are dirty. I'm going to point something out though. On my iMac downstairs uh, in the office, it, which has the card reader, I have the card reader category and it says it shows me th- this same information you just described. But if I go to USB uh, on my high speed bus in the hub, it says internal memory card reader. And and it's really. It, yeah. Yeah. Huh. So it shows it to me as a USB device. But maybe yours is different. Maybe, I mean, it, it would be surprising because Apple doesn't usually reinvent several wheels but but yeah mine is definitely on the usb bus okay well at least on this mini which i think is a 2010 yeah, yeah. mid 2010 yeah it, it it does not show up in the usb category it just shows up in the card reader category isn't that so. interesting huh so actually that's a good tip so you you know and the thing is if you're if you're looking for hardware diagnostics i mean it doesn't hurt to go through all the categories, right? There's a lot of them and, and they keep changing the interface that the device uses sometimes. So, uh, but yeah, so if you see it again, I, uh, I mean, he's, he's gone through all the other steps in that, that it's not the card, you know, it could be the cards broken, but you put it in another machine and it works in your camera. So it's not the card. So either the, yeah, I mean, it, now if it shows up, then I were then I would think, yeah, maybe dirty contacts or something like that, or maybe blow the dust out of there is that it's not making a good connection, even though the computer can see it. Well, it could also be a software issue. It's worth booting from your install CD and see what it reports or uh, sorry, in recovery partition. I'm, I'm, I got to catch up. Uh, but uh, yeah, boot from your recovery partition and run system information there and see if it shows up because that's going to have, you know, that that uh, guaranteed set of drivers, whereas your main installation, something could have gotten corrupted or boot from a, uh, and, and it's actually, it should mount right there. If you put an SD card in, it should mount, uh, even on the, even from the recovery partition disk utility should see it, I think. So that's yet another, uh, 
another option to try. That's all I got to say. That's what you got to say. So, all right. um, Assuming that the NSA uh, is not monitoring this, this uh, stream between us and they're not responsible for your packet loss, which they entirely could be. uh, I figure we've, we've kind of had this discussion. We had this discussion a couple of years ago, but, uh, and you actually brought it to the table, John, but I figured this was a good time for us to talk about securing your browsing. And I don't want to make a big deal out about about this NSA thing. They've been monitoring us forever, right? I mean, this is not new. It's just new in the way that it's sort of the guardian made it public and, you know, created this big scare thing about it, but it is good to know. And it's good that people are aware that yes, you know, this happens. It always has happened. It's going to continue to happen. Uh, But there may be times when you want to browse privately, uh, and and uh, and there are ways of doing that. And it's actually gotten a lot easier. A couple of years ago, John, we talked about something called the Tor uh, network. And uh, I'll let you briefly explain what that is. And then we'll talk about some implementations that have happened in, in recent years that make it very easy to use this. But let's let's talk about at a sort of at the core foundation what this is. And we'll see if we can't explain that and then and then tell people how to use it. So you want to start with what Tor is, John? Huh. At a very high level, Tor is a network that will anonymize and secure your web traffic. How's that for a summary? I wouldn't say secure. It is not necessarily encrypted, uh, but it will anonymize your traffic. Okay. All right. Most of the implementations I've seen, well, actually, yeah, a lot of times you may have to dig into the, the client um, or server if you want to be a server and yeah. enable uh, encryption. Okay. So that's not necessarily given, but the important part is that it's an anonymizer in that it will make the IP address that you appear to be coming from uh, not you. <laughs> yeah. It, but it's, what's interesting, you know, normally John, if like, if, if you run a server and I connect to you, you have to know my IP address because I want you to get packets back to me. Right. So in order to do that, you have to know who I am, but what Tor has done and Tor is it is, is it's an acronym and I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's the onion router, right? Is what Tor stands for. Is that right, John? Someone will correct me hopefully in the chat. Um. Okay. Since they're doing so much onion, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, terminology, then I, w- I would say that's probably a good guess. Yeah. So, and and what they do, it's it's so cool. Um, instead of me connecting directly to you, John, I connect to another computer in the middle. But just one computer in the middle wouldn't be enough because that computer would then contain the the data that would say, "I know that Dave talked to John," and so that could be compromised right there. So they actually have three hops in the middle. And by the time my data gets to you, John, no one hop knows both ends of the connection. The one in the middle knows neither end of the connection, right? So I hop to point A, point A knows me, point A hops to point B. Now point B knows point A and point B knows the next hop. So it hops to point C and then point C hops to you. And so all you know is point C and everyone uh, it's completely anonymized. You don't know who I am. I don't even necessarily need to know who you are, which is where things get really interesting because you can have 
normally websites have IP addresses like, you know, uh, whatever, 207.58.150.260 or not 260.216, right? Uh, that IP address can be tra- traced to a person or organization. But uh, but through the the Tor network, you can actually set up websites that have dot onion addresses. So you don't even know what their IP address is. It just gets you uh, to them again through this anonymized network. And you can, as John said, you can encrypt your traffic on uh, on both ends, although encryption could reveal something about you if your computer is encrypting things uh, using a key that is um, that that is unique to you. Right. So if you have a certificate, if you're if you're a server and you want to offer end to end encryption, that may or may not be a smart thing because that certificate might be traceable back to you. Right. Isn't that right, John? I'll have to think about it. I'm reading, I'm reading an article on it and it does imply that the onion, at least onion routing uh, almost always includes its own encryption. Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, right. I think it's encrypted in the middle, but, uh, but as far as end to end encryption, that's not always happening. And again, you may not want it to happen for, for certificate reasons. But it used to be, John, you'd had to set up in order to get this to work. What you do is you you run this thing called Vidalia on your computer. Right, John. And and then you point your browser or whatever applications you want to use with this to a proxy server. And, it you know, immediately, like ninety nine percent of the population, the eyes just glaze over. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Forget it. I, that's you know, that gets wacky. Um, now that that's one percent even still. For those of us, it's like, eh, it's a big, it's a big process, right, John? Oh, it can be because, uh, yeah, the traditional thing would be you get uh, something like that, set it up as a server, and then you would have to reconfigure all your clients to go through that proxy server to provide you with Tor uh, ability, uh, the benefits of Tor. And yeah, I think that gets beyond most people. I mean, it's even a pain in the neck for for you and me, right? Because you got to go and reconfigure your browser, and you got to make sure it's configured right. Otherwise, you've just given up all the anonymity, you know that that you wanted to uh, that you wanted to to maintain. So, yep. they have built uh, the 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 great people that that work on this Tor project, which is all open source and all of that good stuff uh, at torproject.org. They have some. They have created something called the Tor browser bundle and they have one for the Mac. They have actually have two for the Mac, a 32 and a 64 bit version. Most of us these days will probably run 64 bit, but, uh, and they've got it for windows and Linux. And, uh, you know, you can probably compile it for your own platforms if you choose, but this is all in one. You launch this thing. It fires up Vidalia, sets up all these wacky network connections. And what's cool is you can kind of look and see, uh, where your endpoints are and, and, you know, uh, in what countries it's, it's just fascinating. I mean, it routes your stuff all over the world. It's, it's like being James Bond, right? I mean, you, we see it in the, in the movies where they're like, Oh, I need to anonymize my traffic. This actually does it. And you could be set up and running it and playing with it in five minutes from right now, if you wanted to with this tour browser bundle. Um, so it's fun stuff. It's good. It's cool. Fun to play with. So, uh, so that's, did you have you and did you set up the Tor browser bundle, John? Did I set up which? The browser bundle. Oh yeah. 
No, it's awesome. I, uh, and it actually helps uh, understand how this thing works here is that, yeah, so as soon as it launches the browser, I think the first thing it does is it says, oh, well, here's your IP address. Mm. I'm like, hmm, that's not my IP address. Right. It's how, it's how <laughs> well, you it appear is, to the other end. Yeah, exactly. It is if you're going through Tor, and it's actually interesting because I was able to run um, uh, iStat menus and verify. I'm like, okay, hold on. Let, let me just double check here. I'm like, no, nope, my IP address is still, you know, optimal online. But as far as Tor is, anything going through, uh, yeah, that, that browser going through Tor has another IP address. So it's interesting to see the separation here. Right. But you can still be on your, yeah, you, your, your software that doesn't know about this Tor thing still works as it should. Yeah. And actually, that's an important distinction, right? You know, the only thing running, if you run the Tor browser bundle, the only thing running across the anonymized Tor network is your Tor, the browsing that happens inside the Tor browser. Anything you do in any other browser or even like your mail client or anything else is still sent in the clear net. Uh, so if, if you're doing something and, and there's sometimes good reasons, I mean, you know, you, you might have, especially for people in countries where, um, internet access is still, you know, very closely scrutinized and depending on where you visit, you could get in trouble. Uh, th this has been a handy thing. You know, I know, I know some journalists that use it to get data out of, uh, countries that otherwise are, you know, not too keen on data getting in or out. So it's I mean, it's good. It, you know, obviously anything, any technology at all, but especially a technology like this opens itself up to potential uh, nefarious uses. And and Tor is not without those for certain. I mean, we've got well, I mean, it, you know, the website that keeps getting talked about is Silk Road, right, where it's like this online eBay style marketplace for everything you couldn't possibly buy on eBay. But but that stuff is sort of a natural byproduct of any time you create. Um, anonymity like this but it's very interesting it's very interesting so but the but uh if we're done with tor browser bundle i think that leads us into the sort of the, the last piece of the of the puzzle if you want to head down this path right john or are we are we not done with tor browser bundle oh i think we're done with the browser bundle the 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 piece that i think you're going to mention is uh one that i had not yet set up here though i think in concept i i grok what it does yep so, yeah, the, the, as I said, the browser bundle only protects that one browser or only anonymizes that one browser. And it's possible you could, you know, make a mistake. You could go and send an email that has something you copied or pasted out of the browser. And now it's possible to link your traffic back. And because your email wasn't sent in the, you know, across the Tor network, now you're you're compromised. So uh, you can run something called Tails. And that, too, is an acronym that I don't entirely remember off the top of my head. But the concept is uh, it is a static disk image and you, you can burn it to a CD, but it is an entire environment for uh, it, it, it's an Ubuntu operating system, but it's totally pre-configured. It doesn't save anything to its own disk and it boots up in this Ubuntu system launches uh, the Vidalia setup to get the Tor network happening. And then every bit of network traffic that you do with inside this operating system is sent over Tor. They actually do have one little thing called the, the insecure browser or unsafe browser. In case you're in a coffee shop or something and you need to log into, you know, the, the 
the agreement page or whatever you can do that. And then, uh, you know, and then the rest of your browsing happens there and the rest of all of your internet activity. So whatever app you might run inside this is totally secure. And you can, uh, on the Mac, I, cause I started f- trying to figure out, okay, how would I do this and creating, you could burn to a, a DVD and boot from that. There's a way that you can jump through some hoops and create a bootable USB key, but and those are probably the most secure ways of doing it because nothing else is running on your Mac. But if you're not totally crazy, you could run it inside of something like Parallels, which is what I did. And uh, and you just set it up as the installation CD, uh, this image, as the installation CD of a Linux operating system. It never installs the OS. It just boots from the CD and everything is up and running. And uh, and it, it works. I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, again, you know, five minutes, depending on how how comfortable you are with parallels. You probably could be up in five minutes with this too, but uh, it took me about 10 cause I had to figure out, you know, I'm not always the fastest one, but, uh, but I got there. Bullheaded persistence is the, uh, that's the name of the game for me. That's the secret to my success, John. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm too stupid to stop sometimes. So I figure it out, but yeah, it's, it, you know, it's an interesting thing. And uh, and fun to play with. It's just and it's one of those things that just makes you go, oh wow! There's you know there's so many smart people out there figuring out all these interesting little little paths. Of course, there's the the tinfoil hat uh, folks that I that I know and love and often join say that the CIA are the ones that set up Tor in the first place to monitor the activity of people that wish to uh, to remain anonymous and, and that they found it very helpful. But you know, take that with however many grains of salt you usually take those things with. Yeah. Anything, John, any, uh, any more thoughts? I want to add one other program. So there's another one, which I think is worth looking at. Yeah. And I had uh, highlighted at a point in the past and it's from Hanny, hannynet.com. Yep. Who does some, uh, some utilities you may, um, recognize like water roof and ice floor that have to do with, uh, you know, network and firewall configuration. Um, and uh, they write something called Anonym, A-N-O-N-Y-M. And it's uh, really a front end to a uh, network setup, but it incorporates uh, anonymizing proxy servers. So uh, I, I think it's a separate mechanism from Tor. Okay. Uh, and it operates at a lower level. And that, from what I recall, when you run this, it actually fiddles with the uh, your network stack. So everything appears to be coming from... Uh, Huh. From the uh, anonymous network. So that point I brought up before where, yeah, so so in this case, from what I recall, what I ran it, if you run it and then you check your IP address, your IP address of your machine will actually have changed. So that's kind of neat. So that's uh, another thing to experiment with if, if you want to uh, appear to be coming from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what all this is about. Um is is you're appearing to come from somewhere else or appearing to be something else. And, and it's about anonymity. And as Kiwi Graham in the, in the chat room mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it is really important to stress the difference between anonymity and encryption and encryption tip I, in, in, I mean, I haven't done a ton on tour, but in my experience, it, certainly the data that I am sending and, and this tails thing constantly reminds me anytime I fill out a form or, you know, do whatever, it says you're sending data unencrypted, which, uh, which is kind of how that, like I said, how that works, you, you know, with a, with a uh, certificate on the other end, you know, that, 
that could link back to one party or the other. And it, it, depending on the site you're going to, that may, that may work out, which is fine. Um, I will point out that Google does not like to serve search traffic to uh, Tor clients. They start saying, oh, no, you've requested too many things, probably because there's there's a fixed number of endpoints out there. And everybody's probably hammering Google and they're saying, you know, it, it, but it appears to be coming from this fixed number of, of machines. So that, I think that's why, but I'm not sure. Well, I've seen that with, uh, actually, I've seen that with Google every now and then, uh, especially if you're set up on a network where they're doing that. Yeah. And you get an IP address behind a, uh, uh, a router that appears as a single IP address and, yeah. and you're a large company. Um, I've, I've actually seen this triggered in uh, enterprise situations where it's like, whoa, whoa, too much stuff coming from this IP address. Cut it out. Ah, okay. <laughs> so that's what gotta, it is. Yeah. I think they just have in general, like all well, kind of the, some of the stuff, uh, like a team out TMO. I noticed the other day, if you, uh, I don't think you can make a comment over, uh, you know, with, within a certain amount of time. Right. That's right. There's a script that detects that as well, because it's figures somebody's trying to spam us or something, I guess, yeah. or, or, yeah. or harvest the site. Um, so it says, no, no, 15 seconds. And, and that's enough to slow down the bots, I guess. Uh, we, we assume and it, we actually have a, if you and I forget the timing of it, it might be 15 seconds for the first one. But if you then post another one, the time uh, that you have to wait increases and it begins increasing exponentially so that, uh, you know, for the guy who needs to post two comments right away, it's not that big of a deal. But if somebody tries to post 15 comments over the course of several minutes, that's impossible. Smart, right? All right. All right. Hey, um, I wanted to talk about this last week. Uh, it, it's a pretty cool thing from uh, from a company called AMP and tech ANTEC mobile products. I got this cool uh, little and that's sort of the key device called the gain G.A.I.N. And it is a Bluetooth receiver and and uh, transmitter for headphones. So. Bluetooth headphones are awesome, especially if you're like at the beach and you want to keep your iPhone sealed somewhere, but still want to listen to music. Uh, Bluetooth headphones obviously solve that problem. And and in fact, I will point out, you know, if you don't have something like a life proof case or a, uh, you know, one of the, the OBEX cases, putting your iPhone in a uh, relatively decent quality Ziploc bag is a great way to protect it both from water and like sand and all that stuff. And you can still see and use the touchscreen through a Ziploc bag. So bear that in mind. So if you're going to the beach, throw your iPhone in a Ziploc bag and you get some Bluetooth headphones and, uh, and you can still listen to music and you're good to go. But what if your favorite headphones and the headphones that you spent lots of money on aren't Bluetooth? What do you do? That's what the gain is for. So it is a Bluetooth receiver um, and again, a transmitter, you can use it as a, for your phone headset too, if your headphones support it, uh, it's, um, it, it allows, uh, it, 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 you plug your headphones into it and you Bluetooth pair the gain with your phone and it just works and you've got shuttle controls on it. So you can play and pause and update the volume and, uh, even answer calls, uh, right from this little thing. And it's tiny. And the best part is it has a little clip. So it's kind of like, you know, it's a little smaller, actually, than that that uh, iPod Nano, John, that, that had the little, you know, the little clip size thing. Uh, it's even a little smaller than that. And the battery runs for me. I had it running. For, I mean, they say the battery will run six hours. I believe it. I, I don't think I ran it quite that long, but uh, 
but it works great. It sounds good. You know, it's using uh, high quality Bluetooth, you know, the, the high definition stuff. And uh, it sounds great. So, you know, for the summer and it's 32 bucks at Amazon. So it's not like you're you're shelling out a ton for this thing. Uh, so there you go. That's the uh, the Antec gain. Uh, I just started playing with it and it was like, oh, dude, this is a no brainer. And so uh, so I wanted to make sure everybody knew about it. I, I wanted to save it for a cool stuff found show. But since we've been putting that off in summertime's here, I thought some of you might appreciate hearing about it sooner rather than later. So that's the, uh, the AMP gain fun, right? John. Indeed. Yeah. comes in different colors, but it's like 32 bucks. Nice. Yeah, I know. Simple. What are we moving on to? Oh, another thing for the summer, John, uh, because you might be traveling some and you might want to talk about, uh, you might be out of the office and you might want to let people that try to email, you know, that. So, so, John. Yes. Yes. You're going to lead us oh, in. to Michael. To Michael. So, Michael, um, as you may have guessed, uh, wants, to, wants to do something uh, about vacation. So he's saying, it's that time of year. We're supposed to be on vacation this summer, right? <laughs> Is there a way to set an I'm on vacation will return in September message in mail, or more specifically mail.app, which comes with the uh, OS? I tried it recently by using a mail rule and got complete chaos. The rule was every message, um, all right, every message, I have two mailboxes, one personal, the other on a Windows server. All right. Okay. So he's defining a rule. So yes, sorry. So the first part of the rule, I guess, is that you say if uh, any of the following conditions are met. Now he said every message, um, I actually put into an article that had an important warning here, but actually even at this level, Dave, I would say that that's probably not the best choice for a rule like this because he mentions he has two mailboxes. What I'm going to suggest is that if you say, look over here, all right, if, if you make a rule and you say, so you still say if any of the following conditions are met here, but rather than every message, Dave, I would say account. Account is an option as a rule parameter. And then when you click on account, like in my case, it lists the three different uh, uh, mail servers that I subscribe to. So it sounds like you probably want to do that to start. Okay. And I think that would have prevented this problem. But then the second thing that happens is typically. Um, all right. So to get back to his, his uh, letter here, when I set the away message, um, my uh, contacts got bombarded with hundreds of emails from me. Needless to say, I was not popular when I returned. <laughs> So, um, and he gave a screenshot here. So one, I put in an article that goes over this, and, and but the second warning here, and you got to be careful of this because you may do this by accident or on purpose, hopefully by accident. <laughs> but when you, after you create a rule, it says apply a rule to all, to, to existing messages or so, something similar. Your answer to that, you, you want to say, or I'm sorry, let, let me get the uh, terminology here. All right. So it'll come up and say, do you want to apply your rules to messages in selected mailboxes? Um, and you want to say, don't apply. I think what happened is he oh. hit apply, which looks to be the default. Yeah. 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 So the thing is, I was saying, Oh, take every message and reply to it. <laughs> right. So he must've had the, the mailbox with all his messages still in there, uh, highlighted. Cause that's what the, the, the rule I think was asking is, you know, whatever, wherever I am now, you want to apply this rule you just created. So, um, however, if you do want to send an email to everybody, <laughs> <laughs> then that, that would be the way to do it. 
Right. Yeah. That that's one of those weird things when you're creating any kind of mail rule that you uh, need to. It, it's going to ask you, do you want to apply this to all of the messages that are in your inbox or all the selected messages? And if, if you say yes, it it does. And sometimes that's important because you've created a rule to process things. And obviously it wasn't working in the past. And so you you know, you've got this new rule. Do you want to apply it to the stuff that's already come in and it, it, choose wisely? I think is the, is the message there, Mr. Braun. Yeah. Or, you know, like I found in the past, uh, when doing a mailing list, uh, <laughs> yes. Test <laughs> test, uh, not once, but maybe twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing for out of office stuff a a better certainly you can do it from your Mac here, but your your Mac um, is not the the functionality inside your Mac at least built into Mail is not robust enough to say hey like if you send me an email and I'm away and I have this rule set up Mail is going to reply and say I'm out of the office and you get that and you say okay great you know and and you say I'm going to be back on whatever you know Tuesday and then. An hour later, John, you say, yeah, OK, well, I know Dave's not going to be back until Tuesday because I just got this bounce. That's awesome. Um, but uh, I'm going to send him some information because I've got some information I want to get off my desk. And I know Dave won't deal with it till, till Tuesday. And then you send me another email. This rule will send you yet another. Hey, by the way, I'm out of the office until Tuesday. That can be a little bit obsessive um, and distracting because you don't need that information an hour later. You know, presumably you're able to remember, you know, that sort of information across uh, the span of 60 minutes. And mail's not smart enough to do that. But most servers that offer this functionality are. Um, and it's sort of uh, a, a self-protection thing because these servers don't want to get, uh, don't want to have the ability for someone to turn them into a spam machine. Because what could happen is I could send, you could send me 50 emails and spoof the from addresses on all of them. And then I would reply to 50 random people or not random 50 people that you chose saying I'm out of the office. And now I've become a uh, unintentional spam uh, responder. So uh, servers. And if you use Gmail, this functionality is built right in. You can, uh, you can do this vacation auto responder, but it will only send a response to one person every four days. And, uh, and it's intelligent enough to manage that. And, and you can set days where it starts and then stops. So you don't forget about it when you get back from vacation and have people four days later saying, Hey man, uh, you know, you're, you're still bouncing email to me. You need to turn off your thing. Won't fix your voicemail message that we all forget to change when we get back from vacation, but at least it manages that. So. Right. And I think, yeah. And the consensus from the, uh, peanut gallery, also known as the chat room here. Um, and I would tend to agree with this, that if you can make it a server side rule, and I think, for example, Exchange lets you do this. Uh, I've used Exchange recently, and it'll let you create an agent, but last I checked, you don't have to have the client running. And I think the observation is that it's a pain in the neck to have the client execute these rules. If at all possible, toss it on the server, just, just right. as you said, and a lot of servers. Now, the other thing is he may want to check with whatever ISP he's using and seeing if he can get to the mail server and and set up such a rule if, if they, they offer it. Uh, he wasn't specific. Well, he said he's on a pop implementation, so I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. The server may or may not, uh, the server may or may not, it, it, you know, it, your server may or may not support doing this, but like I said, Gmail does. And a lot of them do. It's, uh, it, it, you know, it's a very popular 
request. No, actually, you're right. Even when I was with, um, yeah, the old, uh, old, my old pop email, I remember I could log into my mail account and do a dot forward, which is what I do now, uh, to Gmail. Um, but also, yeah, I think there was an out of office or vacation uh, setting as well. So even if it's an old antiquated pop server, uh, the, the ISP uh, hopefully offers something uh, above and beyond just pop. Yeah, yeah, or move to a service like, say, Gmail that offers IMAP, sort of, and uh, a lot of these other functions for free. Right? I mean, if you're still on pop, get off of it. And unless you you know that you have a very specific reason that this is absolutely what you have to use and then, you know, and then ignore our advice because, you know, better. But uh, but if you're just on pop because you're on pop change to IMAP, your life will uh, it's so much better because you can have this unified or this consistent inbox across, you know, all of your devices and or, or even all of your computers. You can reply to an email at work. Uh, and when you get home, you see that reply or check on your iPhone and see that reply. It's, it's nice to just have everything in sync. It's a, a synced life is a beautiful life. That's what I said, John. That is what you said. It is. I know. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I'm not sure what that means. Rob help. Hi, John, Dave, and Pete. This is Rob from Sydney, Australia. I wrote to you a couple of weeks ago about the uh, incorrect number of available updates showing up in the Mac App Store icon on my Macs. And uh, you made some suggestions about fixing it. Um, In the end, it didn't work, and I've figured out why. Uh, And now I guess I'll just have to live with it. Uh, Let me explain. I have four external hard drives, um, each of which has five partitions, one for each of five Macs that I want to back up. One is for the work machine at my office, Uh, and the other four are for various home machines, um, three Mac minis and uh, my MacBook. Each of the home machines backs up over the network using Carbon Copy Cloner uh, to uh, another Mac, which I don't bother backing up, Uh, and that all works fine. And then the the work Mac, um, I plug the drive in via USB and it backs up directly. But all of them use Carbon Copy Cloner. And what Carbon Copy Cloner does is when it encounters something that's changed, for example, an app after an update, it archives that in an archive folder at the root level of the hard drive. So what was happening was um, uh, all of these updated apps, were the update was being stored in the normal directory hierarchy, but the out-of-date version, uh, the, the old version, was being pushed into the archive folder. It's only when I uh, discovered, when I checked on the work Mac, that it had updates for apps which weren't actually installed on that Mac that I started to think about what was going on and whether it was related to the um, the backup drive. And then also some of my backup partitions started to get rather full, so I did some cleaning out of the archives, including deleting old versions of stuff in the applications part of the directory tree. So as I cleaned up these drives, I was seeing the available updates dropping. And there's your clue right there. So what's happening is um, the App Store doesn't count out-of-date apps in Time Machine backups. It knows to ignore them. But if you have, as I do at home, a, a local clone backup of the, my various machines, 
um, it'll see the out, the outdated versions in the uh, directory tree within the Carbon Copy Cloner archive uh, and say, oh, that app needs to be updated. Well, actually, it doesn't because the one on your boot drive and also the one in the, the active part of the clone uh, is up to date. It's just that the archive part contains the, the out-of-date version. So there's a little mystery solved, and I guess I'll, I'll either have to disconnect my local backup volumes when they're not actually in use, or I'll just have to live with um, a misleading update count in my uh, in my uh, Mac App Store icon in the dock. Anyway, I love your work, guys, and um, don't get caught. Thanks, Rob. So um, I'm thinking about this and there's a couple of options uh, that might solve your problem. I mean, it's good to know that you found this and and, uh, applaud your troubleshooting skills because that's that's actually that's my goal here. That's our goal when we sit down and do this is to really get you to the point where you're starting to think a little bit more about this. I don't expect everybody to listen to the show and take every single tip that we share and uh and apply it immediately that that it just doesn't make sense right you're not all going to have all of these problems simultaneously and if you did that'd be really weird um and and i i might have to take some time off and scratch my head about uh you know how the universe works but uh but i don't have to because it doesn't happen but you know filing this information away and hopefully building this you know foundation of of knowledge you know that at times you're like hey wait a minute if i poke this and touch that and it, i remember and now you're you're good to go so you found that and that's good but um i'm thinking i wonder if the app store relies on spotlight to uh help decide what apps to update it may not but apple relies you know apple is uh in many ways other than with like for, for example, core data iCloud syncing, which we won't get into uh, in many ways, Apple, you know, eats their own dog food to use an oft overused phrase. They, you know, they, they keep reusing these, these bits and pieces of technology. So it's possible they're using spotlight to, uh, to tell the Mac app store, what apps are there and the versions of them. And, and that way it's all stored in one database. So the way to test that is to exclude your clone destinations from spotlight. And you can do that uh, pretty easily in system preferences. You just go into, uh, into system preferences and you choose spotlight, which is in mountain line up at the top and then go to the privacy tab and drag in your external drives here. That will tell spotlight not to pay attention to these for results. Now it will, um, it, it may or may not impact your, your app store stuff, but certainly worth checking out because that might be the magic answer. If it doesn't though, the other answer is, you know, uh, set up and, and we've, we've talked about this in previous shows, uh, but you can set up your clones to mount just before the clone happens and then eject after the clone happens. And, uh, and then that will certainly solve your problem because the drives aren't online. So the, the Mac app store will only be wrong during the backup process while the drive is mounted. So that's another, uh, another thought. You got any, you got any other thoughts on this one, John? Hmm. Hmm. No. Okay. Well, that's all right. Well, it's happened to me recently in that I think, yeah, the other day I plugged in an old backup drive with the prior version of the OS and all of a sudden the app store comes up and says, Hey, you have 14 updates waiting. I'm like, what? 
I look and I'm like, no, those are up to date. <laughs> yeah. So I've seen it happen every now and then. So when you see unexpected updates, yeah, make sure or pull all the drives and then try again. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why they're so persistent in trying to update apps that are not on the, the boot drive, which seems to be what's happening. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now somebody in the chat room, uh, I will tell you who Brian Monroe in the chat room sent us a link and uh, said it could be apps that were purchased on a different Apple ID. But I, I thought it would at least warn me about those. Um, although I haven't tested that. All of our apps have been bought with my ID now that I think about it. So that's possible. We will uh, we will put this in the uh, in the show notes, too. So thank you, Brian. It's it's awesome having you folks here in the chat room because, like I said, not not only do you save us from uh, perpetuating incorrect or incomplete information uh, when we do, but you save the rest of your listening brethren uh, having to wait a week to hear the correction. So if we issue something that's wrong or, like I said, incomplete, you know, you folks are right there. Awesome. 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 We're all geeks. We all help each other. It's good. You know. John, I, uh, I've been fighting battery issues with my, with my iPhone five. And, uh, one thing that was chewing up battery was the Facebook app. And I even think the new version that just came out this week was, was, um, a big culprit. It just seems to run in the background all the time, even though it's only supposed to run for 10 minutes, according to Apple's rules. But, uh, but whatever they're doing, they're running it forever. And it, it, uh, it just chews up a lot of battery. But even with that, I was, I was having some weird things and it hit me that I had not started fresh on my iPhone probably since the iPhone, since I got an iPhone three G, uh, which was my first personal iPhone. Uh, I'd always just upgraded and, and migrated and upgraded and migrated and restored from previous backups because it's such a pain. Cause you can't go and get individual apps settings easily. I mean, you can use some of the stuff that we talked about last week with, uh, you know, disc aid or, or, uh, phone view, but it, that stuff doesn't, it doesn't always work for that reason. It works for the, the other stuff we talked about, but pulling settings around can get sort of wonky. But um, so I started from scratch before I left for WWDC, like days before. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just save my backup. And if I, if it drives me crazy, I'll come back to it. But uh, it really wasn't that bad. Kind of like the, the most recent or not the most recent, but at the time, whatever it was, five or six years ago that I started my Mac fresh and was like, I'll just go through the pain. And with that, I could at least bring some preferences over that worked. But uh, but with this, I had to reset up everything from scratch. But you know what? I have way less apps on my on my phone. My battery is running better because I don't have, you know, just all this stuff and, and it gets rid of the cruft. And it probably took me the better part of an afternoon to get my phone to the point where it was like, okay, yeah, now it's doing all the things I need it to do. And then over the next week, there were those occasions where it was like, Oh yeah, I don't have that app. And then I sort of rethought, do I really need that app? Yeah. Okay, fine. And I downloaded it and, and, and put it on or say, no, you know what? I'm good. I, I can function with this and, uh, and really not miss it. Uh, so it took some habit breaking and that sort of thing, but, uh, but it's not so bad. So I just wanted to share that, that uh, there's no great, you know, revelation here some huge tip but um if you've been resisting it but kind of knowing your gut that it's probably the right thing to do go ahead and do it 
Um, and again, you know, you shoot a backup first before you start over. And if it really drives you crazy the next day, you just restore from your backup and you're good to go. So that's, uh, that's my thought on it. Have you ever, you've only had one iPhone. Is that right, John? Yes. And I've had to run a store on it, but no, I keep my apps uh, pretty lean. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll go through every now and then. It's like, Hmm, have I used this uh, in the last month? I'm like, no. Hmm. So that, (laughs) that makes me think of something I really want. Um, and it looks like from what I've seen of, of iOS seven, it's not, we're not going in this direction, but you know how in uh, iOS six now, when you get a, uh, you download an app before you run it, the OS leaves this new banner, like sitting across it so that, you know, yeah, yeah. I thought that was cool. I want one that says old so that it it does that for apps that I haven't Mm. launched in 30 days. I would love it because it'd be so easy, especially if it would like have a smart folder and it would just put all those things in there and I could go through and I'd say, well, this one I know I need, you know, uh, but the rest, get rid of them. You know, like the one for, for American Airlines. Well, if I haven't traveled in 30 days, I probably haven't used the app, but I like to have it so I can do the pass passbook stuff and that, you know, those kind of things. Fine. But the rest, sometimes I download stuff and it's like, oh yeah, I don't use that. Get rid of it. So yeah. Anyway. There's my real revelation. All right. So we got, uh, we've got two tips that we can share. Let's, let's do Felix first while we're on the, uh, while we're on the, the iPhone thing. And uh, Felix reminds us on the iPhone that you can hold down the power button um, to, uh, oh, where are we here? Right. This was on the iPhone. Now I'm totally confused, John. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, if you're on your iPhone and you need to reset it, if you hold down power and the home button for 10 seconds, maybe 15 seconds. But if you hold down both, not just power, not just home, but both of them, power and home for 15 seconds, it will force reboot your iPhone, which is a really handy thing to know when your phone just locks up and you can't get out of whatever you're in. So, uh, uh, so that that's, that's tip number one. And then tip number two, John, which is related, which I really like is, uh, if you have an app running and the app is unresponsive instead, you can force quit apps on your iPhone. Even if you can't pull up the, the little, uh, you know, well, even if you can pull up the trough, you can't if you can't get out of the app, it doesn't matter because the app doesn't appear in the in the little trough when it's the frontmost app. So the way to do it is for this, you hold down just the top button and uh, and wait until the slide to power off thing appears and then hit the home button. I think. Uh, hit that and hold down the home button. What's the tip? Oh, I'm going to screw this up. Yeah, no. Okay, that's it. So you hold down the top button. Wait till the swipe to to power off appears. Don't swipe. Release the power button and then hold down the home button and uh, for about five seconds. And then that will delete uh, that will force quit whatever the frontmost app is. So I got us there. Let's touch and go for a while, though, John. Yeah, very good. And then um, a follow up to that is with pretty much any modern computer, though it's not necessarily documented. Typically, if you hold down the power button for about five seconds, it'll force shutdown, which is not necessarily what you want to do all the time. But if nothing else works, almost every computer will respond to that. Now, when it starts up, it may not be happy, but it's 
it's better than pulling the power cord out. Because at least the yeah. hardware gets to spin down, you know, on, on its own. And you're not dealing with some weird, you know, arcing ground or whatever by pulling the power cord out. I, I've always felt that it, it doesn't matter. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it doesn't matter, John. Yeah, we could. And then uh, kind of a little Mac side follow up to that, or at least uh, at least on Mac, if you do uh, command option escape, that brings up a little force quit panel. Very yeah. similar to what you just mentioned for the phone. For the phone. You yeah. Can right. Choose individual and you can choose individual apps to uh, uh, force quit. Sometimes. Depending on how how spiraled out of control your system is. How hosed is. you are. Yeah. yeah how hosed <laughs> you are. That's the technical term. <laughs> how hosed you are. Uh all right. You want to do Paul's thing here? Should we do this? Uh, share Paul's tip. Paul says, uh, I ran in and maybe we'll, maybe we'll wrap up with this. Uh, he says, I ran into this on my desktop iMac the other day, text edit and yoink kept crashing on launch and asking to repair the library, which it was never able to do. I used the following steps to fix the problem and thought I would share it with you and we will share it with everyone. Thanks, Paul. Uh, it says, if you have had an app constantly crashing on launch or asking for an admin password to repair the library on launch, try the following. Remove files from the following locations. Uh, you're going to go to the home folder and go to library. Now, uh, users of Lion and Mountain Lion 10.7 and 8 uh, will note that when you go to your home folder, you don't see library. That's because it's hidden. Uh, we've talked about that before, but the quick tip is to Hold down the option key and go to the go menu and choose library in the finder that will bring you there. So get yourself to the library folder and then go to the containers folder uh, inside the containers folder is all of the sandbox uh, data for apps that have been uh, that have been sandboxed and you can go th go through there. And in his case with text edit. He looked for uh, something named text edit. Now it's, it's going to be reverse domain. There's a, there's a more correct word, but uh, it's going to be com in this case, because Apple made it com dot Apple dot text edit is how the, the folder name is going to be. So uh, you open, it, he says to delete the, uh, the com dot Apple dot text edit folder and open the app again. Uh, that can, that can work, but I will point out that that is, uh, you are deleting all of the preferences for that app. So uh, I, th I would say that that is actually the last resort. The first thing I would try is again in the library folder. And this is following on to Paul's tip. He says, go to library and then saved application state. And in here, you will see likely a surprisingly long laundry list of applications and uh, and again, they're they're stored in this reverse domain uh, format or whatever you're going to all tell me I should be calling this. But uh, but you will find something like com.apple.textedit here. And if you delete that, that simply removes the um, the windows that were open previously. And uh, and a lot of and every app is going to read this when it launches to try and restore its previous state. But if this data is corrupted, then it will crash if uh, if that's the case. So uh, so I would try this first. I would actually do the saved application state thing, delete that folder, try and relaunch your app. If that doesn't work, then going into containers um, or application support, depending on whether it's a sandboxed app or not. 
But uh, but thanks for the tip, Paul. It's this is good stuff. I and it's a good reminder that we all have to look in home library containers for a lot of our uh, our preferences and and that sort of thing because that's where the sandbox lives. So it's good to reiterate that again and again. Right, John? Sandbox. The sandbox. At least we don't have what cats do playing the in the sandbox anymore with uh, with mm-hmm. 10.9. <laughs> Actually, my neighbors have that problem. Do they? Is that, is yeah, that... there's a new mysterious cat in the neighborhood that uh, he's very friendly to me, but apparently he likes to use the uh, neighbor's sandbox for... Uh, uh, yeah, for his business. Un- unintended purposes. That's right. That's where he goes to do his business. Not I- the intent of the property owners i come to my office every day to do my business the cat goes to the sandbox i think it might be different i think that's a good time to bring in the band as loud as possible do we have anything else to go through mr braun not today not today now we'll try to get out of this even though it's still choppy packet lost city here Uh. you sound totally fine when you listen back to this you're going to be blown away because you sound as pristine perhaps even more pristine than uh than you always do so it's uh, i should give you this recording and see how long you can listen to it it's very difficult to only hear little bits and pieces of things uh you've Uh, you've done it's better you've done fine i haven't noticed your you know hesitation or anything any you know not any more than usual or anything but but, um Mm -hmm. ah you know uh, okay, well, we want to have you email us. And really, we love getting email and really anything uh, from you folks. But email is a good place to start. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the address. You can send in your tips, your questions, uh, everything. We do try to address everything that comes in there. We prioritize uh, the premium stuff, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, but, but uh, this week we were able to get to everything, and it's always a goal. So, uh, and it's a goal we often hit. So, feedback at MacGeekab.com. Right, John? I'm not sure if I heard it, Dave, really, this time, because of all the packet loss, but I think you said feedback at MacGeekGap.com. I did. And for those of you that are premium members, we very much appreciate your support. Uh, you can visit uh, MacGeekGap.com for information on how to support us directly with a premium membership. Uh, and then those of you that are uh, active premium members can use premium at MacGeekGap.com for prioritized uh, attention. And uh, but really, it's just about uh, sharing the love. We really appreciate all of your support. Uh, uh, as you know, we are working very closely. Uh, we are very close on on getting you your your first round of gifts. Those of you that had uh, had earned them by the the first cutoff, and and actually with the time that it took, the second cutoff's not that far away. So we'll probably be doing this again. Uh, I don't know the next uh, four months or so. So we will uh, we will keep an eye on that. We will keep you posted. It's good stuff. If you want to call us because, say, you're driving and you don't want to tap out an email, we appreciate that. Go ahead and call us at uh, 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 4335. You can also Twitter us. The show is Matt Gap. I am John Apron. He is Dave Hamilton. The other guy is Pilot Pete. And the publication is Mac Observer, all on Twitter.com. I saw Pilot Pete this week. Someday he'll make it to a show. I swear. Not today, though. He's, he's flying again. You can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. We publish, uh, well, we publish it all there. When the show's posted, when the live stream's happening, uh, when the show notes are up, all of it. 
And uh, sometimes we wind up having some conversations because you folks ask us questions there. And so it becomes its own little little microcosm of Mac Geek Cab goodness. Anything else, John, before we wrap this one up? No, I'm going to have to start diagnosing this problem here. I think I'll... Uh, Sounds like you got a Sunday afternoon. I'll start, start with the nearest... Uh, We'll have to find the nearest router in the neighborhood. So that's where I'm going to start. <laughs> hey, if they're not going to fix it, I mean, somebody's got to somebody's got to do it. That's right. Well, you know, this is one of those things, though, where it would be. I don't know about the strict legalities of this, but if you could say hop onto your neighbor's Wi-Fi network, I assume your neighbor has the same uh, Internet service provider that you do. And you could hop onto your neighbor's wireless network only for the purposes of testing their connection to see if they're getting packet loss in the same way. And if they are, then you know that there's a neighborhood-wide problem as opposed to just something localized to you. Yep, yep. Yeah, I know there's, a there's I think, at least one unsecured uh, access point around here. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll try that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we uh, again, as we did mid show, but again, I will uh, offer our thanks and echo your thanks to Michael Johnston for converting this show to AAC and adding all those chapters that so many of you uh, emailed and Facebooked and tweeted to us that uh, that you enjoyed. So uh, we will keep doing those. Uh, Not that we had any intention of stopping, but whatever. The topic came up last week, so I figured it was a good time to ask Uh, Michael, in addition to doing that for us publishes the uh, We Have Communicators podcast, a great weekly podcast about all things iOS and the uh, getappler.com site, which I'm sure is about to be picked up by uh, by Yahoo because they seem to buy everything that, that has an uh, R without a, a leading vowel. So uh, getappler.com. Check that out as well. All right, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace, as you know, includes Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Text Expander and PDF Pen, Disc Label from Smile, and of course, Gazelle.com to sell all of your stuff that you're not using anymore, at least your Macs and Apple and iOS stuff. All through Backbeat Media. All right, John, we made it to the end. Uh, there was something that didn't happen through the show, which is good, uh, despite our connection difficulties. So um, go ahead and, and share the advice, uh, if you would, please. What are you? Are you speaking of not getting caught? 